average day-to-day -day activities and decisions of life, we're often ruled by inappropriate fears of failure that keep us from our highest and best. This message is the seventh in the series, Fear Less. The message is entitled, Less Fear of Failure, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will, your teaching sheets this morning as we uh, dive right into today's message. We're going to continue with the theme of fear less. How do we have less fear in our lives? And I want to continue with what I started last weekend, talking about less fear of failure. As human beings, we face all kinds of fears in life, some of which we've talked about so far, and the fear of loss and a variety of things we've looked at next weekend. We'll be talking, Lord willing, about the fear of the future. How do we deal with that fear in life? But I want to continue talking to us about having less fear of failure. And there are two basic things I want to share with you this weekend. If you missed last weekend, I would encourage you to go back and go to our website, church-redeemer.org, and you can simply find last week's message there and download it, listen to it free of charge, or also you can stop by the Resource Center, any of our campuses, and let them know that you need a CD of last week's message, and they'll provide that for you free of charge. But it will help you in this whole topic of less fear of, law, less fear of failure in your life. But I want to give you two things today that uh, will help us to continue to address this issue. The first thing you must understand about the fear of failure as we talk about it today is it can keep you from your highest and best life. That the fear of failure can actually keep you from your highest and best life. If I were to ask you the question today, what kind of life do you want? I would venture to, to guess that you would say very much like I would say, I want my best life possible. I want to live the best life that's absolutely possible for me. I want to reach my highest potential for the glory of God. I don't want to come to the end of my life and look back with regrets. I want to do and be my best. And I believe that's your desire as well. But what we learn from Scripture, from the observation of the lives of individuals, is that actually the fear of failure can keep you from your best life. That if you are not addressing this issue, I promise you it's going to have an adverse effect upon how you live and what you do with what God has given to you in life. There's a story in Matthew chapter 25 that portrays this in a very real way. Jesus is giving a parable. A parable is simply a story that comes alongside a principle to help us to understand the principle more clearly. And so Jesus calls his disciples together and gives them this parable, this story, this illustration. And the words are written here, Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settles, settled accounts with them. Let's look at the story for a moment. Jesus said, let me tell you a little story that will teach you a principle that I want you to live by. There was a guy that, that owned a lot of stuff. He was very wealthy. 
He had a lot of resources, and he had some folks that worked for him. And so he's going on a journey for a period of time. And so he calls in three of his best workers, and he says, I'm going away. I want you to take care of business for me while I'm gone. I'm going to give to you five bags of gold, the first man, and to the second man, two bags of my gold. And to the final man, he says, I will give you one bag of my gold. I want you to manage this, take care of this, be responsible for this while I go away. And that was all the instructions given. He didn't tell them specifically what to do. He just gave them these resources, each according to their ability. He goes away for some period of time and he returns. And what he does, he calls them back together as a good owner of a business would do and say, let me check up and see how you guys have been doing. What did you do with what I gave you? And the first guy who received five bags of gold said, well, you know, I've really been working hard. I invested what you gave me and I worked it hard. And here, here, master, I bring back to you not five, but ten. My five has become ten. And the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. The guy with two said, well, master, I did the same thing. I took the two that you gave me and I, I went out and I did something with them. I invested with them. I utilized them to the best of my ability and I gained two more. And the master's response to this man was the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. But there's still one guy that's left. And the one guy that's left is the guy that received one bag of gold. Let's take a look at how he handled his responsibilities. In Matthew 25, beginning in verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew. Another way you could say that I perceived, I thought. I knew, I thought, I perceived that you are a hard man. Harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was, what's the next word there? Circle that word on your notes or certainly write down that word. I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest as you perceive that I harvest where I've not sown seed and gathered where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Would you read together with me all campuses? Verse number 29, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them the man with one comes back and says Lord I, I just didn't do much with mine I was afraid I was afraid of what kind of guy you were and afraid that I might lose afraid that I might fail afraid that I might not be able to produce at the level that you might expect me to produce and so I just took what you gave me and I hid it I pushed it away and hid it in the ground at least here I give you back what you gave me but there's nothing more and the master said to him you wicked lazy servant what he was saying was this your fear took the passion out of your life your fear robs you of your potential. Your fear limited your engagement and the very responsibility that I gave you. Your fear robbed you of incredible blessings and your fear has now left you with regrets. I will tell you what fear will do to you in your life and what fear will do to me if we allow it to. 
is that fear will limit our engagement in life. There are a lot of people that are less engaged, less attentive, less making less investment in life than they should because they're afraid of failing. It will rob you of every poss- many possibilities in life. And for some folks, almost every possibility that comes their way, they never take a step toward it because of fear. It will make you a smaller person because what happens when you have the fear of failure is you draw very tight boundaries around your life and you reinforce the comfort zones of your life because you don't want to fail. This is where I am safe. I can make sure that I, I don't, I'm not risking anything here. I'm safe here. And so there's no stepping beyond very small boundaries and it will leave you with a lot of regrets. And my prayer for you, my prayer actually for myself and more importantly, God's desire for you is that you would not come to the end of your life and have regrets about what fear did to you. That brings me to my second point today and really where we want to spend most of our time over the next few moments. The fear of failure is worth fighting because I will tell you that if this is what fear does to you, it's worth fighting it. Because you don't want to come to the end of your life and having lived your life with regrets now and saying my life has been restricted and limited and made smaller by my fear. It's worth fighting it now. And I will tell you that the only way you will ever address fear in your life is to be a fighter. You have to fight it. It will never go away by itself. You have to rise up and take a stand against it. There has to be something that rises in you called faith because only faith can conquer your fear. But it's a battle. That's why Paul said, I fought the good fight of faith. It is a battle. What I want to do today over the next few moments is to teach you how to fight. I want to put some boxing gloves on you today. I want to get you into the ring today with fear. And I want to build you up with some faith today by the word of God so that you will stand in the center of that ring and land a knockout punch on the fear in your life. Amen? Are you ready to get in the ring? Some of you are not quite sure yet, okay? I'll ask again. Are you ready to get in the ring? Or as they say, you're ready to rumble, okay? I'm going to show you how to put the gloves on today and go to battle against the fear of failure. I'm going to give you 11 things. For some of you, you're like, oh, wow, we'll be here till like 3 o'clock this afternoon. Well, I promise you, I do have a 1 o'clock service that you have to be out by. So we'll get you out right on time. But we're going to give you 11 things that will help you to put those boxing gloves on to fight fear. Number one, you need to want and seek God's will for your life. You need to want and seek God's will for your life. That's how you fight fear. Why? Because the safest place you will ever be in your life is in the center of God's will. That's the safest place you'll ever be. When you're in the center of the will of God, you are sure that God is with you, that you have that confidence and assurance that he's going to take care of you. And there's this sense of peace inside that helps you fight and to resist fear. So you need to be in the center of the will of God. You might say, well, how do I discover God's will for my life? It is not complex, dear one. It is not complex at all. The way you know God's will for your life is by simply living by his word. That's, just, that's really simple. You don't have to try to find some mystical awareness of the will of God. You just get into this book and begin to do what it says, asking God to give you the power to do it. And when you obey the word, you're living in the will of God because the word of God is the will of God. And when you study God's word and understand what he says, then you're understanding his will. 
Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 33. He said, seek first his, that's God's kingdom, that's the rule of God, the reign of God, or the will of God in your life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness as doing things God's way, and all these things will be given to you as well. The greatest place you'll ever be in your life is in the center of God's will. If you're not in God's will today, let me encourage you before you leave here today to make a commitment. God, I want to live in the center of your will. Stop living for yourself. Stop living for your will and embrace God's will. Number two, let go of the embarrassment and shame of your past failures. When you get in the ring to fight fear The devil loves to come along and remind you of all your past failures. Let's think about it this way. If a fighter goes into a boxing match and all he can think about before he goes into the match or while he's facing his opponent or all the boxing uh, matches that he's lost in the past, what will happen in that battle? He will not have the confidence to stand. And that's what the adversary loves to do. He loves to remind you of how you have failed. And we talked quite extensively about that last weekend. And that's why you need that message. But you and I need to get beyond the embarrassment and shame of all of our past failures. And all of us have them in life. And the the devil loves to remind you of your past. The miserable things that you've done, the failures that you've made along the way. He loves to bring that stuff before you and play those old movies to you and remind you of all those old things in your life. But Jesus came to set you free from your past so you can have a fresh today and a bright tomorrow. That's the plan of Jesus for your life. But you've got to let go of that stuff. You've got to get it behind you. That's why Paul said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of That's full maturity in Christ is what he's talking about there. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I have to stay vigilant not to let any of my past sneak up on me and sabotage my present and destroy my future. Don't let the adversary remind you of your past. It's been said, and I love this, when the devil comes and reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. That's a good way to do it, right? His future's ultimate destruction. I've told you this before, but I'd like to remind you of this because this is really, this is how God designed you and me. Think about just your physical body and everything about your physical body does, is not to the past, it's to the future. It's moving forward. Where, where are your eyes? They're on the front of your face, right? How do your ears point? They have just a slight tilt toward forward, Okay. How do your hands and arms work best when you're reaching something forward? It's very difficult to scratch your back, okay? It's hard to do anything back here with your hands. Which way do your feet point? They point in a forward direction. Everything about you points forward with the exception of one thing that we're not going to talk about today, okay? Because certain things need to be left behind, okay? Right? Amen? Okay? But God designed you for what direction? forward, okay? So don't let the adversary remind you of your past failures. Make a decision. I am moving forward. Number three, stop comparing your life to others. Can I have an amen right there? Stop it. Just stop it. You know why this is so important? Because 
The fear of failure is oftentimes linked to how you compare yourself with somebody else. And you will, there will always be, folks, there will always be somebody that has a bigger house than you, somebody that drives a better car than you, someone that has nicer designer clothes than you have, someone that seems to be more successful than you. There will always be someone that if you compare yourself to others, you will always come up short in reference to other people. And what that does to you is it reinforces insecurity in your life. And you can't fight a good fight of faith if you're living it from an insecure position. And that's why the adversary loves to get you looking at other people and comparing yourself with other people because the end result, if it's not pride, which I'm superior to them, which very rarely happens in that regard, but also there's the other side of inferiority. I'm not as good as anybody else. I will tell you, if the devil can convince you that you're not as good as anybody else or other folks, you'll not try anything with your life, will you? Because you don't feel like you're capable of it. And so that's a trick of the adversary. Going back to Matthew 25, 15. The story we read a moment ago the, of the parable of the, of the bags of gold, the talents. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one, each according to his, what's the word there? Ability. Then he went on his journey. See, we all have different gifts. Stop fighting with God about your gifts, okay? Don't get mad at God because you think, well, I only got two gifts. I only got one. This guy got five. Stop that. You know, that's not really your business. It's God's business, what he gave to you. The issue is what do you do with what he gave you? It's not really, you don't fight with God and certainly don't need to fight with other people or compare yourself with other people because somehow they seem superior to you. It's just going to mess you up. So just make a decision today to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to live. I'm going to pray and bless everybody. I'm just going to live the life that God asked me to live. There's no comparison of me with anybody else. Isn't that great? That's freedom in your life. Tremendous. Number four, get the right perspective of God. Everybody still in the ring with me? Are you? Getting your gut boxing gloves on? Fight the good fight of faith? Well, how do you do this? You've got to get your mind right. And your mind needs to think the right things about God. If you're not thinking the right things about God in the ring, I promise you, fear will take over. And what are the right things? What's the right perspective of God? The right perspective of God is that God is good. God is faithful. God is almighty. God is trustable. God will never let me down. So when you go to the center of that ring to fight fear, you're remembering who God is because your performance will always be associated with your perspective. Whatever your perspective is, it will always affect your performance in any realm of life because your mind affects everything. That's why the the writer of Proverbs said, guard your mind with all diligence, for out of it flows all the issues of your life. So get your perspective right. I promise you the real problem with the man in the story, the third man who had one talent, one gift, and the reason that he didn't do well with it was because he had the wrong perspective of his master. If you go back and read the story, he said, I thought you were a hard man. I thought that you were going to punish me in some way. And so my thought about you generated fear in me. And your thoughts about God can generate either fear in you or faith in you. When you think about God the right way, who he is, he's good, he's almighty, he's faithful, he's trustable. When you begin to think about God as he really is, it will produce faith in you. That's why the psalmist writes in Psalm 136 verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Number five, 
to fight the good fight of faith against fear, the fear of failure, especially you have to pray consistently. Prayer is what conquers fear. You've got to pray your way through fear with the help of the Holy Spirit. This is not in your notes, but you can write it down. Philippians chapter 4, in the book of Philippians, uh, in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes and says, Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God your needs. Don't forget to thank Him for His answers. Here he links the connection of overcoming anxiety and fear with prayer. And I am learning and continue to face this in my own life. I'm not there yet, but I'm with you in the process. I'm getting there. And what I'm learning is this, when fear comes knocking on my door, the best way to answer is with prayer. When fear shows up in my life and worry shows up in my life, it is a call to get down on my knees and start praying my way through it. Because I don't want fear and anxiety to rule me. I want to know that God is in control of my circumstance because I brought it to Him. And sometimes even when I don't know how to pray as effectively as I'd like to be able to pray about things, I can lean on the fact that God helps me when I don't even know how to pray because the Holy Spirit is praying through me. That's what the Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. In the same way, you need to get this in your heart and mind today, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I thank God that the Holy Spirit lives in me, and when I don't even know how to pray, the Holy Spirit is praying in and through me in ways that I don't even understand, okay? See, that's God being for you, God helping you, but you've got to start the prayer process. You have to be a prayer. You can't sit back and worry your way through your fears. You need to pray your way through them. And then it says in verse 28, based upon this prayer, our prayer coupled with the prayer of the Holy Spirit that we now come to an assurance, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. When I'm praying about my problems, when I'm praying about my worries, when I'm praying about my fears, and knowing that the Holy Spirit is helping me to pray in that process, I can then step in the center of that ring knowing that God is causing all things to work together for my good because I love Him and I've been called according to His purpose. And so there's a confidence that comes to fight the good fight of faith. Anybody getting your boxing gloves on today, okay? Number six. You have to recognize and accept your responsibility to increase. If you're going to conquer the fear of failure, you've got to at some point rise up and say, God expects something of me. He gave me what he gave me because he expects me to do something with it. And one day, I'm going to stand, and you will as well, before God and give an account for what we do with what he gave us. If he gave us five talents or two talents or one talent, All three of these men had to stand before their master and give an account as to what they did with what had been given to them. And the same is true for every person in this place, myself included. That one day, you and I will have an appointment with Jesus and we will give an account for what we did with the gifts and abilities and resources that he gave to us. Now, your resources are your time, your treasure, and your talents. Every person here, you have time. God's given you time on this earth. As long as you're breathing, that's your time, okay? God has given you treasure. There's some resource that you have. 
material resources that he's given you, and you have talents. And one day you will stand before God. I'm, I'm telling you now so that you'll not get before Jesus and say, well, my pastor didn't tell me that. No, I'm telling you, okay? You will stand before God and you'll give an account for what you did with your time, what you did with your treasures, and what you did with your talents. It's right here in this story, isn't it not? Is it not? And what I, that awareness that I'm expected and will be required to give an account of my life to God, it causes something in me. It causes me to want to grow now. It causes me to want to do something with what has been given to me. And it causes me actually to get beyond some of my fears now because that fear, the fear of the Lord standing before Him, is greater than my fear of failure. I would rather reach out and try to grow and develop as I can now with some failures along the way and stand before Him knowing that I've done my best to grow and increase my life than to not do that, to stand back in fear and to have a small life like the man would want that hides away the talent and never increases. So you need to be aware that you have a responsibility to increase. Notice back at verse 22 of Matthew 25, the man, I'm just using this one illustration out of the three, but the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have, what's the next word there? Gained. I have gained two more. So he did something with what he had been given that create a gain or increase in his life. Produce growth. Be a growing person. Number seven, the seventh thing that will help you to fight the fear of failure, any kind of fear for that matters, to be led by God's word and God's spirit, not your emotions or not your dysfunctions. Let me talk about dysfunctions first. The good news today is that you are dysfunctional. Even better news, so are the people around you. We're a dysfunctional group here today. Why are we dysfunctional? Because we live in a sinful world. We've been affected by sin ourselves. Everybody here at some level, you're broken. I'm broken. We're not completely whole yet. We're in the process. Hopefully, if you're growing in Christ, you're in the process of being made whole. These things are getting fixed. But your dysfunctions can hold you back. That's why you need to address dysfunctionality in your life. That's where dysfunctionality is in how you think, really. How do I think about things? A lot of people are very dysfunctional in the way that they think. They don't think truth. They think lies. Not con consciously or purposefully, but they haven't gotten into this book called the Bible and have their minds renewed. And so this is an ongoing process to have your mind renewed. Dysfunction can be in the way you handle your emotions. And I'll talk a bit about that in, in a moment. Dysfunctionality can be in the way that you respond to things or react to things in life. But you need to be on a journey to hunt down and destroy your dysfunctions. Okay, To hunt down and deal with and let Jesus heal dysfunctionality in your life as well as I am in my life. It's very, very important because that dysfunctionality feeds fear. It feeds fear in you. But also your emotions do the same. When you... Uh, the adversary loves to play with your emotions. If he can get you feeling something, he can cause you to do something oftentimes. Almost every sin that you'll see in Scripture, any catalog of sin, you will find that there are corresponding emotions associated with those sins, that when those emotions come and you don't handle them the right way, they draw you into bad behavior. Right? Let's talk about, uh, let's, let's talk about lying, for example. Okay, here's a good example. You know why a lot of people lie? Because they're afraid of the truth, right? 
very simple. They don't want to tell the truth because they're afraid of some consequence associated with telling the truth. And so they would rather twist the truth. The dog ate my homework. Right? Because I didn't do my homework. And so I'm covering that up because I'm afraid of the consequences. So you see, there's emotion that draws you into that. Let's talk about adultery for a moment. Adultery, how do people get engaged in adultery? They don't just wake up one day and just rationally say, I think I'll go commit adultery. No. They have emotions that are of a sensual nature and a lustful nature that draw them together with other people out of the context of marriage. And so those emotions, when they're not controlled and not addressed, lead to sin. So the adversary plays on your emotions big time because if he can grab you by your emotions and you don't control them, he can pull you pretty much anywhere he desires. That's why you and I need to learn to handle emotions well, that's why the scripture says one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That you learn to manage these things in your life. And instead of being led by your, your emotions, it is much better to be led by the solid, truthful word of God. How do you live your life? Not by what I feel, but by what the Bible says. That means this. There will be times that I will do what the Bible says even when I don't feel like it. But I do it not because I feel like doing it. I do it because I know it's the right thing to do. And here's the beautiful thing. When you do the right thing based upon the truth of God's Word, eventually your feelings come along with it. It transforms the way you feel by the Spirit of God helping you. Psalm 119, 106. I've taken an oath and confirmed it. He says, I took this and made this commitment. I, I sealed the deal that I will follow your righteous laws. I will follow your word. Let's talk about Peter for a moment. Let me give you a story about Peter. I want you to see the idea of walking on the word of God, living by the word rather than by your emotions. Here's the story. You know it well. The Bible says that one, late one night as the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and they're heading to the other side. But they look out and they see someone. Jesus was not with them. They saw, they saw someone walking on the water. And they didn't know who it was. They were actually said, it must be a ghost. What is that? And the closer that this, this one came to them, they began to realize, oh, it's Jesus walking on the water. Okay, So you've got to get this picture. This is like amazing. I mean, think about it. You're on the lake and here comes someone walking on the top of the water toward your boat. This is real stuff, okay? And finally, there's, oh, it's Jesus. He's coming to us. And Peter, without thinking. Peter is the guy that is always speaking before he thinks. His mouth always gets in front of his brain. And here is Jesus walking. He realizes, he said, Jesus, if that's you, ask me to come on the water. He didn't expect what Jesus would say. And Jesus said, come can you imagine that moment in Peter's life? I promise you there was some emotion going on. It was the emotion of, what did I just get myself into? Okay. He told me to come. That means I have to get over the bow of this boat. I've got to step on that water. And there was Peter taking that first leg and putting it across the side of the boat, down into the water, and the second leg onto the water as well. And he begins to walk to Jesus. But I want to tell you something. Peter did not walk to Jesus on the water. Peter walked to Jesus on the word. What was the word? The word was come. Okay, There's a big difference. He was not walking on water first. He was walking on the word. 
because it was the word of Jesus telling him to come, no matter what he felt, that allowed him to, to, to succeed supernaturally at something that no other human being has ever done. I'll prove it to you in this. Because as soon as Jesus, as soon as Peter took his eyes off the word, who was the word, who is the word, Jesus is the word, he's the logos of God. As soon as Peter took his eyes off of the word, the logos of God, and started looking at the circumstances, what happened? He began to sink. It was only when he was restored back with his eyes on the word that he was able to do what was absolutely supernatural to be able to do. I will tell you, don't live by your emotions and don't live by your dysfunctions. Live by what the Word of God says to you and what the Word of God says about you. Amen? Always take God's opinion above any other opinion. Number eight, remember that failure doesn't have to be final. Failure doesn't have to be final. The good news is if you fail, get up, get going again. Peter did this. We see it in the story I just talked about, how when he restored his eyes to Jesus, he was brought back to a place of restoration. He continued with Jesus back to the boat again. His, in fact, he lived past his failure because he turned back to Jesus. So don't let your failures ever be final. Number nine, always accept, or I should say accept, that some failure is always involved in moving forward. If you're going to grow, you're going to fail. You can't grow without failure. Every parent here understands that when you have a little baby, as they start growing up, they crawl first, and then once they start crawling, they begin to stand on their own two legs, and they're really wobbly when they stand up, and everybody's kind of trying to hold them with their little fingers and trying to keep them steady, and finally they stand on their own, and then there's that day that they take their very first step. I mean, and, and when that happens, the whole world knows it. I mean, you, the emails go across the planet. Oh, he took, she took their first step today. Awesome. Well, big deal. It's just one step, okay? Right? No, it, it really is a big deal, but in some ways it's really not because well, they took one step. You know, there's going to be a lot more steps to come, okay? And that little kid has to learn how to navigate that process, and when they first start walking, they're very wobbly, and they fall a lot. They have the bumps and bruises to prove that they're learning to walk. And I promise you that any realm of life that you're growing in, you're not going to knock it down, knock it out 100% all the time. But when the enemy hits you in the ring, you get back up again. Don't you stay down hoping that somebody throws in the towel. No, you get back up again and say, you know what? I lost this round, but now there's another round I'm going to go. This is not going to keep me down. Yes, I failed one, but I'm going to rise up. Jesus, if he rose from the grave... And indeed he did. He can raise you up from a failure. He can raise you up when you've been knocked down, okay? So realize it's not going to all be success along the way, but you're going to keep rising up. Number 10, I love this one because it's, it's going to lead to one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Stop waiting for the assurance of perfection and success before you take action. I've had people say to me, well, Pastor, I really want to tithe. And I promise you, Pastor, that when I make my first million, I'll start tithing. <laughs> no, you won't. Because if you don't tithe on 10, if you don't tithe on 100, you're not going to tithe on a million. Okay? I mean, when everything's just perfect, when all my bills are paid and everything's great in my life, I'll start doing this. And so there's all these promises that we make to God based upon what we perceive to be finally those perfect situations that will arise. I will tell you something. That's never going to happen. Perfection is never going to be a part of this world. You have to walk in faith irregardless of things that are imperfect. Ecclesiastes 4, 
verse 11. Read this with me. Let's all together read it. If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. Amen to that, right? And the last point here as we're wrapping up today is use your faith. Use your faith. Anything that's worth doing, any calling that requires faith steps, and by the way, everything that we do in God requires faith steps. Every point of obedience to His Word is a faith step. It always leads you into the unknown realm. There's always an unknown associated with faith, unknown to you. When Peter stepped across the bow of that boat into the water, he didn't know exactly what was going to happen. It was unknown to him, but it was known to Jesus. And the same is true in your life. When you step out to be obedient to God's word, in whatever realm that is, when you make that step in faith, it seems, well, I don't know what's going to happen when I do this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. That's okay. That's what faith is. Faith is a step into the unknown. You're unknown, but it's not an unknown to God. Use your faith. Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 11, verse 24 says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, note the next word, believe. Believe. That is, bring your mental and emotional and, 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 and psychological and spiritual perspective. Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I'll conclude with this last statement. To fight the good fight of faith, you always have to allow the inner voice of faith in you to be louder than the voices of doubt and fear. See, the way the enemy works in your life is he works to intimidate you. Going back to the story of David and Goliath, David, uh, Goliath would come out every day and shout at the armies of Israel, intimidate them, and they would back up in fear. But what what happened with David is that the voice of faith in him was stronger than the voices of doubt and fear coming at him from Goliath. And in your life, if you're going to win the battle against fear, what I'm praying will begin to happen in you, and I believe is happening even now, is that voice of faith is rising inside of you that says, with God, nothing is impossible. With God, I can do all things. With God, growth is possible for my life. With God, transformation can happen to me and my family. With God, I can do this job. With God, I can fulfill that assignment. With God, I can pass that course. With God, I can get that job. With God, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why? Because I am not going to live shrunk up in the corner of the boxing ring. No, I'm walking right, right out into the middle of the ring with my boxing gloves on saying, I will fight the good fight of faith. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you this morning for the word of God that reminds us that we are to conquer fear. And I pray for every person that's here who's battling the fear of failure. I pray, God, especially in that realm that today that we would leave here Equipped by you, Lord, as we've used the analogy this morning with boxing gloves on in the center of the ring, rising up, hearing the voice of faith that conquers, that overcomes all the voices of doubt and fear, and realizing that with you, we can. With you, all things are possible. Seal this word in our heart by the power of your Holy Spirit, and we ask it in your name.
thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God. And we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.